Hey guys, welcome to the Spruce Home Show, your no BS podcast that tackles what it looks like to design, build, and renovate. We're your hosts, Brad and Caitlin Blair. Welcome to the show. Good day, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Spruce Home Show. Welcome to springtime. I've been telling everybody that it is now spring. Today is the first day of spring. You look outside uh, and it's, we go outside and it's actually warm out. You're not freezing your fingertips off. And you look at the forecast and every day in the forecast has a plus temperature to it. So I am beyond excited for that. I am over the minus 40 weather and I am welcoming spring in full force. Um, So today we pulled a little bit of an audible. Uh, I told you guys last week that Caitlin and I are going to be on this week, but life happens and I happen to get a special guest on instead, which ironically is a topic that I've had on my list for the entire time we've, since we started this podcast back in September. So today we have uh, a special guest on, we actually connected through social media, through LinkedIn. So there you go. The power of social media coming in full force again. Uh, so Ron Caroni is here and we're going to talk about construction financing, both in, uh, the new build world and in the renovation world. So welcome, Ron. Thanks so much, Brad. Really happy to be on. Uh, I am a big fan of the Spruce Home Show podcast, so it is an honor to be here today. There we go. Guest and a fan. Perfect. That's what I like to hear. (laughs) So do do you want to just start Ron, by like a, just a short introduction, um, about yourself? Sure. My name is Ron Caroni. I'm a second year mortgage associate at ISAS Mortgage Brokers in beautiful Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I serve the Saskatchewan market and I'm also the host and creator of the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. Perfect. Perfect. Right on. So yeah, like I said, that we want to we wanna talk about construction financing. And for the most part, I get these questions from a new build perspective with our with our custom build clients, but it is one of the most common questions that I get. The, they always start with like, where do we start? Um, what does the process look like? And then once we get through those initial questions, financing always comes up. And it seems it's tricky um, because some builders don't do any financing. As a, as a client, you have to go out and get the financing yourself. Some will do financing and some do a combination of both. So for the people out there, they need to understand what their options are um, and the pros and cons. And for some reason, construction mortgages seem like a mystery, maybe. So you, you, you said it best, Brad, that they're tricky. And yeah. every lender, just like you have a residential mortgage, mm. has a different product and a different down payment and a different percentage of amounts that you're going to need. And then because not a lot of people start with a custom built home. Most of us are buying an existing property. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that happens very often. Yeah. You know, 95% of our transactions as mortgage brokers are existing properties. And so that's why there is a little bit of mystery, maybe even from the public standpoint, that it just doesn't happen a lot. You don't have friends and family who, mm-hmm. who have a construction mortgage before, no one to really lean on from that side. So, so like, what is the difference between take a traditional mortgage that we are all kind of aware of and accustomed to versus construction financing? What's the difference there? 
So a loan is basically the lender giving you money and you're putting up something as collateral. So in a traditional sense, if you're buying a home, an existing property, the bank can go to that home, it can assess its value, it can compare it to other homes in the area, and they can accurately say that based on the loan that I'm giving you, I'll take that home that you're buying as collateral. But if you're doing a new build, there's nothing there for the bank to say, if you don't honor your side of the bargain of this loan, that I have anything to hold on to. And so because of this, the process is a little bit more complicated and there's a few more steps that we need to take. The mortgage process, it, I, I would say it, it kind of goes into that simple to medium to hard processes. A construction mortgage would fall more on the, the harder side and there's just a few more steps that we have to go through a few different things that can go wrong for us. And so that's why there's that degree of extra complication. Right. I, and I tell, I tell people this, I said, you have to put yourself, uh, when you're doing business with anybody, you have to put yourself in their shoes. So you have to put yourself in the bank's shoes and you have totally. to, excuse me, you have to understand that the bank is not in the business of building houses. The last thing that the bank or a lender wants is for you to finish your house 50% of the way, and then you default. And now they have to take over a half built house and do what with, they either have to fire sale it, or they have to hire somebody to go and finish it. And that is not the business that they are in. So they don't want it. So they almost intentionally make it more difficult. Contrary to popular belief, the bank never wants to take your home. It is uh, a thing on their balance sheet that the bank is much happier if you just continue to pay your loan throughout the entire term of your mortgage. At the last, the, the last resort, they will end up taking the home because they don't believe that you're going to honor your side of that loan. Yeah, totally. So what is there any, are there any uh, like qualification differences. So let's just say you're going to build, let's use a $500,000 house for an example. So let's just say you're going to build a $500,000 house versus just buy one on the MLS. If you're going to go get a construction mortgage versus a traditional term mortgage, um, is there any qualification differences? Yes. So th there are like the general qualifications that we need to look through. So, you know, you have to be employed, you have to have a good credit score, you're going to need your down payment. Now from that side, that can be a little tricky. And it's hard for me to say exactly what it will be. But basically a down payment for uh, a construction loan is five to 25% based upon what the lender is, what the lender's guidelines are, the builder's guidelines, um, it's going to be five to 25%, maybe even a little higher. If sometimes your credit score is not good, you're going to, need to, to come up, you're, you're going to need to come up with, with a little more. Um, from a document standpoint, without a home physically there, there's nothing to go and say, you know, this home is worth anything. So we need to start off with a few things. We need an offer to purchase or a builder's contract. We're going to need to see the home plans. Uh, we're going to want to take a look at the source of your down payment, kind of touching back on that, like uh, depending on who the money is coming from and is it from your own savings, that'll be a big determination of whether the bank is going to give you this loan, uh, a fire insurance certificate. And then you're also going to need, depending on the lender, a schedule of when all of these things are happen. And, and even from another standpoint, if you're doing a self-build, 
Like if you're just saying, I want to build my own house, you also need to go and basically apply for a job to the bank. You're going to need <laughs> references. You're going to need contacts. You're going to need people who vouch for you that you have the ability to go through with this loan. So it's definitely not as easy as just saying, well, I'm going to save on all these construction costs by doing it myself. The bank is not okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think for for people to understand is like, like you mentioned earlier, every bank is, every lender is different, which is one of the reasons to me why it's tricky. Um, when we're working with clients, every, what the bank that they're banking with now may not make sense. The bank that they're banking with may really not want to do any construction mortgages. So they make you put like 30% down. Uh, we're working with a client right now where they, their land actually has to be paid in full before the bank will disperse any home on the, any money on the construction uh, schedule. So that means that depending on the cost of the land, you could, you could need anywhere from 150 to $250,000 out of pocket upfront. Um, plus the equity that you're likely going to have to hold throughout the construction draw. So, and that's a dramatic, that, that's the first I've heard of that one that, but those things are out there. And then you can, I've also heard of construction mortgages where you need 5% down and it's relatively easy. Um, but to your point, it's not just a copy and paste across the board. Every, Every lender month. that you're going to go to is going to have different regulations. And I think we're going to touch on it a little bit later, but also during that kind of approval process, you need to show that you can also handle like a 10 to 15% difference in what that contract says. Mm. So do you have the lines of credit, credit cards, cash on hand to handle any expenses over and above what comes up during this process? Mm. And this also gets worked into your debt servicing ratio. So even though you might qualify for the $500,000 home, if we include these other things that need to be done for your debt servicing, Maybe you then only qualify for a home that's in the 400, $450,000 range. Which impacts, which impacts everything. It impacts budget, it impacts what you can build, where you can build all of those kinds of things. So, and that's why I, I tell all of our clients who are looking at getting construction mortgages to reach out to number one mortgage brokers and not just the bank that they're working with, because you can easily go to the bank that you currently have a mortgage with and get defeated like very fast because all of a sudden you realize that they're not builder friendly and, and you think that that's just the end of the game. That's not the end of the game. There's a bunch of different options out there. You just have to put the legwork in to do it. So working with a broker instead of simply just one bank gives you a better opportunity, but you may need to go do other things. You may need to go and look at like different credit unions and work with a mortgage broker. Like this is part of the process where there's some effort involved a lot of the time. So and um, even if you, let's say that your broker comes with uh, an option, it could be that someone out of the broker channel, you know, their local credit unions who end up doing a lot of build mortgages in Saskatchewan end up being your best option for that. Yeah, totally. So I guess tying into the cash scenario, because that a lot of the time is the hangup. Um, I've been exposed more to uh, equity requirements on the higher end. So in that like 20 to 30%, I know there is options out there in the lower spectrum of five to 10, but I do feel like it's less common. So that really what that means is that throughout the disbursement period, as the bank is giving you money, you have to always hold 20 to 30. Let's just use 20% as an example, 20% um, cash in the build, which at the beginning is 
not that big of a deal, but as you get further and further in, you need that cash available. So what does the disbursement process look like? So you, your builder sends you an invoice for um, a stage completion. What, as you as a client, what steps do you have to take in order to actually get the money from the bank? So again, it's a very high level question because every bank and even every builder is going to have a different schedule of how these funds are going to come. And so just depending on how that initial conversation goes with the lender or how that's laid out, it really determines a lot of that. So whether you know it's all up front on that down payment or whether that gets spread out over the, the term of your build. I guess the, the big point on that is at the end of the day, you have to be ready and you should actually go check out a few different places when you're going through the, through the pre-approval process before you're really digging into the build. And you have to know exactly how much money am I going to need at each stage mm-hmm. and how much backup money am I going to need at that time? And it's really important for your builder to know that until this is completed, we are not going to get this, this next draw to get us through here. Yes. And that's, that's one piece that is crucial. Like you have, because every bank is different, you have to loop the builder in to, to be part of the process to understand. Cause that's how you have to structure the contract, right? Cause because every bank is different, for example, okay. So we work with a credit union for us, when we do construction financing, when we want a disbursement, we send an appraiser there and he, um, he does an appraisal based on percentage complete. So let's just say he goes there and he says, okay, your house is 27.3% complete based on his calculation. That report gets sent to the bank and we get 23 point or 27.3% of whatever our construction mortgage is worth. And that's how the process works. But Correct. other banks want invoices and they, they will disperse money based on invoices that are sent. So now you need to prove that the work has been done through invoicing, not necessarily through an appraisal. Um, And the builder needs to understand when the bank will disperse money, how much they'll hold back, um, which ties into another point, which a lot of people don't realize is there's builder's liens. And so the bank doesn't actually give you the money directly. When you go to Mr. Banker and ask for disbursement, he actually sends the money to a lawyer who then sends it to you. Reason being is because by law, 10% of all disbursements have to be held back until 40 days after the house is completely done. Correct. And that's, and that's coming out of your draw that you might coming need out of your draw. to move exactly. on to the next project. Exactly. So you're, you're, everybody needs to know that. So it's not a surprise. Your builder will know it because it's by law and it happens every single transaction, but it shouldn't be a surprise to you as, as the client. So the, and the reason being behind the builder's lien is so that as a builder, they're actually paying their sub trades. Uh, right. It gives and sub trades an opportunity to put liens on the house if, if they need to. If I could quickly hop back in too, Brad, it's really important to to work with a builder who may be flexible also with your lending needs. Because if you have an approval from a bank that say, we only do four draw mortgages, meaning that once this stage is done, we're going to give you 25% of the money, the next stage, the next stage, the next stage. 
but there are lenders who will do unlimited draws. Mm -hmm. It's more based upon that completion percentage. And the appraiser is going to have a list of items that show when the kitchen is in and when we're here, now we're at 35%. And they'll, they will disperse that remaining amount of money up to that 35 percentage point. So working with a builder that can also map you through those different steps is going to be really important. Yes, 100%. Totally. So then once the build is complete um, from your end, what does it look like? Cause so you do a construction mortgage, construction mortgages are interest only as in their entirety for all that I, I know. Um, so then when the house is done, well, now you have to term it out. Now you have to go to a fixed variable, whatever your options are. So what does that process look like for that transition? So this is the hallelujah moment where everything <laughs> kind of shines again, where we're, we're back into the normal space. There's a house that's sitting there. We can send an appraiser out. He can give you a value. And at that point, depending on your, your down payment amount, you might actually get some cash back because yes. depending on what the house appraises at, what it under or over appraises for is, is kind of where you're sitting at that point of, of what you're sitting for a loan to value. And so at the beginning, and I guess maybe it's an important distinction to make because you are in a construction mortgage, a period of time where the home is being constructed. Typically it's prime plus two to 5% is what the lender is charging you during that time interest only. And then when it comes time for the, I guess, more traditional mortgage route, now you can go to an A lender, kind of our, our typical big banks and monoline lenders, and we can say, here's the home and, and let's get a, a traditional mortgage on it. Now, your person who is uh, offering the construction mortgage will often offer you a, an A mortgage as well, but there is that opportunity at that time to look at getting another mortgage as well. You just yeah, have to make sure that the, the construction mortgage lender has the ability to do so because sometimes there are prepayment penalties mm. that are tied into that. And if you start the, the mortgage, uh, pardon me, the construction process with a certain lender, it could be that it might be so expensive to not just do that term with them that you have to go with them. Yeah. Which I think is a very crucial part of the process is understanding, okay, not only, and this, again, it comes back to the complexity of construction mortgages is that right from the beginning, you need, you should understand, okay, this is who I'm going to get my construction financing through. And then this is who I plan to get my traditional mortgage through, whether they're the same pe person or not, it doesn't have to be. Sometimes it's beneficial. Sometimes it's detrimental. Again, it just depends on who's doing the construction mortgage, who's doing the traditional and it's a great question to be asking the person while you're going through the, const the construction portion is what happens when the home is complete? What are my prepayment penalties? Some of these homes are mortgage default insured. And the stipulation is, is that you then have to pay them that mortgage default insurance to now move to a new property. Totally. So why don't, I guess that's maybe construction financing, which maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe we raise more questions than answers, but um, <laughs> That is the general process. So maybe why don't we move into renovation financing a little bit or what most people will know as purchase plus improvements. They have their own tricks and trades and limitations to them as well. So how do they work? Let's just say hypothetically you want to buy a house and you want to do renovations to them because we get a lot of our clients fit that exact bill. So what does that process look like? 
It is one of the best products that mortgage brokers have on their on their balance sheet of what we can offer a client. Uh, what it works really well for Brad is the fact that you can go to a house and let's say that you know maybe it's a little bit dated or the husband and wife can't agree on that kitchen or a certain room, and so they need some renovation money to be able to make that house the way that they would like it. And so enters in purchase plus improvement mortgage, the, 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 the holy grail of mortgage products. And so essentially what this allows you to do is work in a renovation into your mortgage balance. Now, why this is really beneficial is because mortgage loans are some of the cheapest loans uh, borrowers can access. So if you can put $40,000 onto your mortgage at a minimum interest rate, that is a heck of a lot better than sticking it on a line of credit, a credit card, or a personal loan from the bank. Yeah. So what are the limitations that, are there any, what are they? Um, is it different per lender? What the limitations are on those loans? So again, there are some uh, different uh, lending requirements depending on which lender you're going to, but it's a little more generalized than what we're talking with the construction mortgage. So I'll just give you the, the requirements from a lender that I send a lot of purchase plus improvements to. Uh, it's either 10% of the purchase price of the home or up to $40,000. So if you have a $200,000 home, you can do $20,000 of renovation. If you have a $500,000 home, you're limited to that $40,000 amount. Uh, one of the other big limitations of a purchase plus improvement mortgage is that you have a limited amount of time to do these renovations once you've taken possession of the home. So buying a home is quite expensive. We have down payments, closing costs, moving costs, if we're putting furniture in the home, all of this can be quite expensive. Now, the problem with the purchase plus or one of the big holdbacks is that you have to self-fund the renovation. And then after this 90 or 120 day period, if the uh, renovations that you said you were going to complete are completed, the, the lender or the mortgage broker will order an appraisal. The appraisal will go in and say, you've done that, uh, that work that we needed done. The lender then gives the go ahead for the lawyer to release those funds that were set aside for that renovation. And then you can go ahead and pay off those credit cards or if you're doing it in cash, and then that balance is just added on to your mortgage. So how does that, um, how does that work? If is it 90 days? Is that what the time period is 90 to 120 days. And because we've been in an odd renovation time, because yeah. lots of people were living at home with COVID because things are getting very expensive. It's hard for renovators and builders to, to be ready on exactly the day. And maybe you have a holdback of the, the thing that you needed to get that renovation done. Well, lenders at this time have been a little lenient and you may have the ability to get an extension on your purchase plus renovation, but it's not a guarantee. So it, it can be three to four months, depending on the lender with the chance of maybe getting an extension. So I guess I have two questions with that is number one, what happens if, so there's seasonal work, for example. So let's just say you buy a house in October, do the renovations over the winter time, but there's seasonal work that needs done that can't be done until May or June when, when things dry up and snow melts and the weather's nicer. Um, so like there's exterior applications, for example, that just need warmer weather and can't be done when it's 30 below. What happens in those scenarios? 
you would want to make sure that that was signed off ahead of time, that the lender was aware that this work was going to be done at a later time. If you don't say anything and you say, you know, it, I'm going to plan on doing this in September when you're taking possession in May. Yeah. Well, the lender's not going to look highly on that. A lot of this stuff is just rounded uh, brought upon by communication. And if we're communicating with the lender, if we're getting those exceptions ahead of time, if we're being clear with our communication, you know, we can look at getting those exceptions. If we're not getting those exceptions, you might be out of luck on getting that renovation. Sure. And then I'm assuming that would be the same as if it was a more extensive renovation that took longer than three to four months. And it was a six month renovation. It would be the same story. Just make sure you're communicating up front. Correct. And what I'll do sometimes as a mortgage broker is I'll go to the lender and I'll say, you know, they're really looking to do this renovation, but it's likely that the builder or the contractor that they're getting in there is not able to get in until month two. And we might need that exception. They say, yeah, it's looking quite good that you should be able to get that exception. Okay. And then I guess the other thing that we run into, like the renovations that we work on are all large scale. So have much larger than $40,000 budgets, for example. So we've ran into in the past is just the reality that banks wouldn't fund um, renovations of that size or, or all of it anyway. Like they would still fund a portion of it, but not, but not all of it. So have you ran into any lenders or is there opportunity for any lenders to lend off after repair value instead of current market value? It is a little harder. And, and what happens is if they're depending on the type of renovation that's happening, it might be hard to get a mortgage on that property at all. Okay. If a home is in such a condition that the lender can't use it as appropriate collateral, that if they needed to seize it from you, that that doesn't make up for their loan, then they're not even willing to look at that. And that's when you start to get into the private lending space mm -hmm. where there is someone who's willing to lend you that money, but oftentimes it comes at a very high interest rate and the terms are not favorable to the borrower. Now, if you're fairly savvy, if you have a deep understanding of renovation costs, of getting mortgages, of after repair values, you know, sometimes that might be an option that you can look at, but it can be quite dangerous. I, I, I will say that caveat that private lending comes with a, a giant asterisk <laughs> that, you know, it's very expensive. And if you do get behind or a little underwater during the renovation and you can't get the home to a to an after repair value of what you needed to appraise that, it can be quite uh, detrimental for the borrower. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think it comes back to the fact that we mentioned earlier is that the banks are not in the construction industry. So Correct. they're at the end of the day, banks are in the risk industry. They offset risk. They charge you an interest rate and they take an interest rate and there is a differential and they win always. <laughs> so it, uh, it, the, the bank is in the making money industry yes. and there's nothing wrong with that. We, no. we need the banks to, to do a lot of these things such as mortgages and loans and business building. But if they ran a business where they lost money, there would be no money for anyone else to <laughs> that's borrow. Right. Until the and government so, printed more and gave more that, money. That, yeah, they're that's too big correct. to fail. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so, but for the most part, like, let's just say, let's stick with that $500,000 number again and say that the, you, you buy a house or you have a house that's worth $500,000 and you want to do a $200,000 renovation you likely should expect that a large portion of that renovation is going to gonna have to come out of pocket and will not be financed. Am I kind of hearing that right? 
Well, there are different options for you at that stage, depending on what you have for a home. Um, if you don't have any property, you know, you're looking at your unsecured lines of credit, you're looking at a loan from the bank, just on a, on a personal side, okay. and you're going to pay what those interest rates are. If you own a property, and you let's say, just for easy math, have a $500,000 property that is completely paid off, but you would like to undergo a giant renovation, you could then take a refinance of that property and say, I'd like to pull $200,000 out of my property. I would like to re-add a mortgage back. Now, again, I am adding back mortgage onto my property. I now have a monthly payment that I'm going to incur, but I now have the money to complete this renovation. And at the end, I might even have a higher property value et cetera, et cetera. The other option, if you do have a property is a home equity line of credit. You can do you know, typically 65% loan to value. If you do have equity built up in the property and you need some renovations done, that's another option. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's options on the table, but there, every there are always options. Right? Like, yes. I mean, if you're, if you're at the end of the day, if you're buying a house on the MLS, and you're buying it at market price and you're an ex, you're planning an extensive renovation you should probably just plan to have cash out of pocket because you're likely not going to get lending based on what the value of the house is after the repairs not before um and if you've only been in a house for three years and you don't have you're going to have equity but if you put five percent down three years ago you likely aren't going to have the whatever 20 to 30 percent equity that you would be required in order to refinance it. So every scenario is going to be different. Um, but for Correct. large scale and renovations, cash just likely is going to be part of this, the equation. And if we look at from the bank's perspective, if you have very little equity in the property, if it's not at a place where there's a large value there, we, ha we haven't locked in any value until the renovation is complete. And so looking at that risk curve of whether the bank is going to lend you money there, if, if you have enough equity and you have some skin in the game, as far as the bank is concerned, mm -hmm. they're a little more, uh, you know, willing to lend you money. Sure. Totally. So I guess that to me, that's, there's complications to both. So the reason I really wanted to go through all of this is that we work with both sides, both people. We work with people doing large scale renovations, either on a house that they already own or a house that they are purchasing. And we work on with clients on custom builds. Um, and we get financing questions on both. And one is not necessarily easier than the other. Um, it just depends on everybody's circumstance. So like from your perspective, is there one that's... Um, I guess for the majority of people easier to deal with or easier to get or easier to qualify for. Um, I mean, the construction mortgages can be cash heavy, but if you're doing a $250,000 renovation, that can also be cash heavy. So is there any, is there either one easier from your perspective? And the reason I ask is because in today's market right now, as we sit here, there's lots of conversations going around of do I build or do I buy a house and renovate or do I stay in the house that I am already in and renovate? Um, like I know we've had lots of conversations over the last six, eight months about people who were planning on building a house that now costs are inflated. So they're thinking about just staying in the house that they're already in and doing like additions to add space where they're, they're now working from home. So they need the added square footage, but 
it may be better from a overall cost perspective for them to just stay where they're at and do a renovation and actually add space on whether that's making the house bigger from a footprint standpoint or going above. So that's, that's the decision that people are having to make that we work with. Um, so that's where the question kind of came from is, do you see one that's easier than the other? I'll give you more of a, a personal answer because sure. I do think it then it leans into that. Would you like to live in a brand new home where you've customized it? You have the ability to say, you know, I designed it. It's built the way I like it. And, you know, in that sense, it probably, you know, despite the factor of the lending side, you'd probably lean more towards doing your own home. Mm -hmm. If, however, you're probably looking to lock in some costs and have a really good idea of what everything is going to cost, when it's going to be finished, buying an existing home and then adding that renovation on later might give you a little more flexibility where if you start the construction process, you've really committed a lot of time, resources to, to finishing that off. No, no matter what happens with rising lumber prices, the ability to get doors because they're manufactured <laughs> somewhere that they need to be shipped over. If, yeah. you, if you own the home, you can live there. And you know, depending on your timeline horizon, it might give you more flexibility to be there and then have that ability to do the renovations today or two years from now. Yeah, I, I agree. It, the, everybody's scenario is a little bit different. I, I'm biased towards building, um, partially because from a, if you're doing a large renovation, um, a lot of the times the cash scenario is maybe not necessarily a wash, but it's close. It's you're going to have some cash out of pocket no matter which way that you go, and it could be substantial. Um, so I don't see a huge advantage from a pure cash perspective either way. It's kind of, I just call them neutral and they're Switzerland. Um, but the one tricky thing right in today's market about finding a house, if, if you're finding a house to buy, to renovate is that that's hard. Um, is mm -hmm. that you, you, your timeline has to be open-ended because you still have to find a home that not only is in the neighborhood that you want, but is going to generally fit the layout that you want, be in the budget that you want, um, and, and kind of be able to fit all your wants and needs. So if that's what you're looking for, because inventory is so tight right now, your timeline has to be more open-ended because it could take, I don't know how long for that house to, to pop up. Right. Correct. Um, and then, but you do have to be ready to move on it when, when it does pop up. So make sure that you're talking to mortgage brokers, make sure you're understanding your financial scenario so that when opportunities do arise, you can pounce on them right away and not be way behind the eight ball. Otherwise you're just going to miss out. Um, so that being said, I mean, building, you have more opportunities for flexibility in that sense. So that's why I'm a little bit biased towards building, but that being said, each of them have their own hurdles. We'll say. I, I'd love to throw it back to you, Brad, too, just kind of on that topic and this, this tightness of single family homes right across the country. Yeah. Uh, is it also that the amount of builders out there are also more in demand and that if you are interested in, in buying something that it might be a really good idea to start doing some future planning in chatting to a builder and, and lining that up? Yeah. I always, I always tell people, even when they reach out to us like two, three years in advance, I always say it's, I know it's like way early. And I said, 
there is so much information to communicate. It's almost impossible. Like everyone is busy nowadays. It's the sole reason why we started this podcast is because we realized that there's this information gap between Hmm. builders and clients because there is so much information to go through that it is impossible to meet face to face and go through it all. People are just too busy. They don't have time to take that many one hour meetings and kind of spread it out. So it seems like only the pertinent, extreme important information gets gone through and then the process starts and then it's almost like learning on the fly. So the whole purpose of us starting this podcast is for the people that are looking to start projects in two years or three years or five years. It's like, it's a free resource for them to glean all this information um, through all these topics and understand, okay, well, from a floor plan perspective, what should I consider? And like from a finishing and from a financing, like what do we need to do? And help people get their ducks in a row earlier. But part of that planning process is talking to a builder right from the hop um, so that they can they can help guide through the process and make sure you're not going down a path that you're going to have to take a hard right at in two years anyway, and kind of start everything from scratch. So wonderful. I'd say, um, I think that's about it. We hammered it out. Um, (laughs) like I said before, I don't know if we created more questions or answers, but we definitely put some information out there. into people. The, the, the more, you know, uh, the more you realize that there is a lot to know. And I, I think whether you're going to your bank, your credit union, mortgage broker, it's good to just get informed on the process and under, and having a good understanding that it is complicated. There is a nuance and what one lender will tell you will not be the same when you sit down with the other one. So having your checklist of things to go through, and I think is really important and not a bad idea to, to sit down with, uh, with a number of people and see who can offer you the best product for your uh, situation. And that goes along with uh, finding a good builder as well. Perfect. So Ron, where can uh, listeners find you? So they can, I'm active on most social media platforms at Ron Caroni Mortgage with a Q, um, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and you can find me on all podcasting platforms and on YouTube at the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. Perfect. Well, thanks again for coming on. And uh, I'm sure that everybody listening took a bunch of information and again, maybe more questions, but it's good to have the information. So thank you everybody for listening and uh, we will see you guys next week. Cheers. 